uh, just kind of in the way of maybe starting with a question, let's look at the idea of discouragement. Matthew, you talked a little bit about that. Certainly, we, we started off in looking at that potential that we would have and thinking about the Apostle Paul and uh, maybe the temptation that he might have felt to be discouraged. We certainly know he faced incredible hardship. Um, he names all of those hardships and Second uh, Corinthians, I believe, and just kind of walks through them all. And so as someone who faced that yet still to endure and persevere, I wonder if, if you guys would be comfortable maybe just sharing a time when you may have been discouraged in ministry and, and how uh, did these principles lift you out of that um, or how did you walk through that and still remain faithful? Yeah, there are so many. <laughs> uh, I, you know, I'll, I'll just go back and one early on in ministry, my first pastorate. That's not, again, to say that there haven't been many uh, since then, but uh, you know, there are just some some times that are just very vivid, you know. And and my, I remember uh, in my first pastorate uh, having a brother who was uh, he was my biggest supporter, biggest fan. He was a deacon. He you know he loved his pastor. He did anything. I mean, he he worked, you know, to you know help me to be uh, effective and you know and and what I was was doing and. And, um, uh, you know, got word, you know, before children's camp one year that his daughter was planning to do some things, you know, just that, you know, older kids do, younger kids, pranks and stuff, and stuff we really didn't want to happen. And so I just, uh, you know, I I went to the parents and just said, hey, you know, I heard this is going on, just would ask you guys to talk to her. And it was like somebody flipped a switch, just that conversation. And one of my closest friends became one of my bitter, most bitter enemies uh, to the point, just to illustrate it, that in one of my efforts at reconciliation, I went to their house. He opened the door and knocked on the door, you know, and he opened the door and literally threw a cup of hot coffee in my face and slammed the door. Man, you know, I was a young 25, 26-year-old pastor. I didn't know what to do with that. I I knew people acted like that. I just didn't know your closest friends, you know, acted like this. And so you ask the question, you know, what do you what do you do with that? I just the thing that stands out in my mind was other, you know, other believers, you know, that came. I remember leaving there, getting in my car, you know, weeping. And I didn't know what to do. And the only thing that came to mind is there was some other church members, some folks that were close to me that lived close by. And I, I remember going over to their house. And, and I just remember opening the door. And I'm standing there, you know, I got this hot coffee, you know, just, you know, dripping down, you know. And I just remember, you know, them just, they didn't have to say anything, just came out and hugged me, you know, just. And, and that, you know, of course we had conversations after that, but, um, you know, just that was a reminder to me about the nature of the body of Christ. I don't know that I was smart enough to think about it then, but as I look back on it, I think, you know, just the dynamic of the spiritual family is a manifestation of his wisdom that, you know, that ministered, you know, to, to me in that season. So, um, I, I think that's very, very common. Uh, I've heard that from many pastors is, you know, we were, you, you look at people that you were really close with in the body and how the relationship becomes soured. Yeah. And that certainly was true for me here is 
um, the chairman of the committee that called me became one of the worst enemies I've ever had in my life. And uh, I sure didn't want it to be that way. <laughs> um, and just the period of time for about three or four years. And my phrase, <laughs> when I feel like uh, I've just had enough, is I want to move to Montana and work at McDonald's. That's kind of the, the word picture that comes to my mind. Is, but that's not the way it works. And I, I think um, just coming back to the call that we're not here willy-nilly, um, that we're, we're here because God's called us to this work. And I think of Jeremiah when he said, I'm not going to preach anymore. And that didn't last long. And so I think um, the warning of being, uh, being aware not to allow your ministry to be led by your emotions. And when you have, you know, your heart swirling and you're wounded and you, um, you know, you want to tell everybody about it, it's good to be still and to remember he's God and he's the one who's called you and getting direction from him and his word. I think, too, Jim, something that's really valuable is often when you're in a crisis and you get hot coffee thrown in your face or somebody comes into your office and hits you, <laughs> which happened to me mm -hmm. in the throes of that crisis, um, is you think everybody's against you. You know, and the, 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 the clouds of the controversy are such that you think, I'm afraid to go into Walmart, which was, you know, uh, you think everybody's against you. And uh, that's just not true. And to show up, look up, grow up, and say, um, Lord, I w you've called me to this body. I'm going to love your people. I'm going to honor your word, and I'm going to honor you. And, um, and the ministry that comes from unexpected places in the body uh, where they come, and you're encouraged, and you're reminded that uh, the Lord's in it. So within that, I mean, you've mentioned relationships, Matthew. You talked about them just a few moments ago. How do we guard ourselves then from fleeing from deep relationships and just being surface level? You know, does, does that, I guess, concern, you know, ever tempt you to, you know, I'll, I'll just go and do my thing and... Yeah, I, I would say no to really guard against that. Having a bad, blistered relationship with some someone in the body that you don't want—you don't want the kind of relationship that relationship. And I remember saying to one man, "Can't we? You know, we have these things in common in Christ. Can't we be on the same team?" And he looked at me and said, "No." So how are you going to deal with that? You know. I would guard against having a jaundiced view, a suspicious view of, uh, you know, a guarded view. I don't see the spirit of Christ in that at all. I mean, look at how he treated Judas. You know, he, 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 he didn't say, well, because Judas is a bad apple, I don't want anything to do with Peter or the rest of them. I think that's, that, that's part of growing in maturity and transparency in the body. There's a lot of, games that go on unfortunately in christian gatherings and fellowship where there's a lack of transparency and i think that's a, a deepening of the maturing that we long to see that we've spent the last almost 24 hours talking about in first corinthians how to deal with a a bad church uh bad church relationships paul never stopped seeking and he had been wounded by them deeply um never uh, quit seeking uh, a deep, deeper fellowship with them.
and a love for them. Yeah, I think with that, it's just because um, what's been, I think, hard about our context is like it's very transient. So people are always in and out. So whether it's maybe not people necessarily verbally hurting you, it's, it's uh, man, these are people we love and now they're gone. Here's another group. Like, and so just am I really going to just open myself up to just where I feel like I'm just hugging a parade, you know? And um, and I think like, you know, yeah, you can have superficiality and you can avoid hurt. But I don't know. I just I, I don't want that type of ministry. So I think like I do know, like if I want people to entrust their souls to me, I have to entrust myself to them. And, and I know like as a pastor, even you were sharing, like you got to be careful, like not to always be dumping your emotions on the congregation. But um, I think, like, I feel a tight-knittedness uh, with our congregation right now because, like, during this hard season, there have been parts and sermons where I've just opened up my heart with them. And um, and it's been a moment where the congregation has just been able to minister, minister to, to me and be the body of Christ to me. And you don't get to experience that if you close that off. And so, um, so I think just even reminding myself about... Um, what the cost of superficiality is, but also to know, yeah, if I do open up, people could very well just come in and punch me in the face or throw uh, coffee on me or hurt me in ways or hurt my family in ways. Um, one thing I didn't, didn't get to say a while ago, to Chris, I want to say that something that's been helpful for me in discouragement and even trying to pastor into my people is just the Psalms. Um, there were some days where there were tears in my eyes. All I could think about is, uh, uh, just we've moved down here to share the gospel. I only know of one youth that's come to Christ. I know of another one that's been murdered. And in this same year, 2022, I didn't mention this, but we had to excommunicate a brother from the church last year. All the while, like, this theft is happening. And when this theft's happening, it's just like I'm at the property that morning. I see things are missing, and, I'm, and I feel alone. And some of the things, uh, sometimes the only things I could say would just be something like from Psalm 23. I would just say, you know, uh, in tears, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And um, and I think, like, pastors need that, but our, 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 our churches need the Psalms to just, like, when life squeezes you, just to give us that language and emotion on how to yeah, just speak to, to the Lord in those moments. Yeah, I count your blessings, you know, is maybe the way I, I would summarize one response to what you're saying, and, and this is something that is, I, I know I haven't done near enough, but it's something that Scripture compels us to come back to, is take the time to intentionally call up the the blessings. So related to this issue, uh, you know, if I go up to a marker board and I got two columns, and one column I list all the people that have thrown coffee in my face or whatever that has been, <laughs> And then I come over to the other column and just think about the rich, deep relationships of people who have loved me and I've loved them. And, you know, people that we've, you know, I, I heard like so many are taught, uh, you know, when I was in seminary, you can't have relationships with people in your church. Don't get close to people in your church because that come back to bite you. And I, I never understood that. I mean, I, I understood it practically. I just didn't understand it in relation to scripture and what it meant to be a pastor and to be and so my wife and I just decided we're going to take that risk you know we're we're going to risk having our best friends you know in the church building relationship and the number of those over the years 
in comparison to the number of people throwing coffee in my face, this list is so much longer. It's so much longer. Uh, and that, I hope that keeps me coming back, you know, coming back to take that risk, you know, to invest in people and let them invest. Because just the blessing, you know, of being able to, to have those relationships so far outweighs, you know, so far outweighs the, you know, the, the, the hurt and the, the people that come against us. I know there's varieties of calls. I just would would share my my journey. I, I my wife early early on while we were still in seminary prayed that God would lead us to a place where we can invest our life. I wasn't interested in rotating every five years, and I think that adds a lot to the problem of church health uh, across the board. Is they're getting um, a new pastor every two or three years? What would a family look like if they got a new dad every two or three years? And so you have these things that build up, these structures that soak into the woodwork of the church. And I really believe that the 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 prospect, the only prospect that's going to reverse that is is tenure, where they see. Well, Mr. So-and-so, he's kind of been the unspoken leader or this cluster of people have been the unspoken leaders of the church. And they surface about every three or four years to create a catastrophe because they're worried about losing control and then rush in and as knights in shining armor to save the church. And it just repeats itself. And um, to have pastors who stay and for the congregation to, to see he's not running away. He's walking through hard times, and we can we can follow that, but that doesn't happen in a year, or three, or five. That's just seeing the cycle work itself out again. Seeing that through uh, the controversies, and for me, I've never wanted to um, be in control of the church. I just wanted Jesus to be in control of the church, and for the gifts to be on display and the great commission to be obeyed and the word of God to be honored and, uh, you know, God's people to be edified on the point of discouragement. I, I, at college, I, I memorize this little piece in the thousands of ordinary days when you want to give up, it pays to be true to trust Jesus and he'll surprise you with special moments. And that's just been true over and over and over again. I think that's the beauty of relationships within it, you know, is that even when you get the coffee thrown in your face, developing relationships allows you to go to someone else to realize that that's not the attitude of everyone. Yeah. Uh, I know in the, the periods of discouragement, especially related to my own preaching, um, you know, hearing one person say, we want to hear more from you, you know, like you can give us some more stuff. Another person comes and says, you know, I... Uh, one guy said, he's like, I, I describe the difference between the way you're preaching and what I've heard before as, as driving an automatic and a stick shift. He's like, it's hard at first, but he's like, but once you see it and you get the hang of it, it's not any different than the other, you know. And I think it's just what you value. Um, and so having more relationships in the congregation allow you, I think, to see that, well, this attitude's not present in everyone. There are faithful right. people here who desire what God wants and, and are happy to have it isn't it something too that through times of suffering like that you you know how important you are in your own mind mm -hmm. 
you know, and how, how the Lord uses that <laughs> to say, no, not really. <laughs> uh, not, not really. I had a friend who um, went and preached at a church and for in view of a call and um, one of the pastor search committee, actually it was a trial sermon somewhere else. And uh, they said to him, well, you're not Billy Graham. <laughs> 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 a foretaste of greater things yet to come. <laughs> uh, so, I mean, you know, just really see, seeing our identity in Christ. And we really, I, I claim to know nothing among you and weakness and trembling and all of that. I, I, I think that the Lord is, is using those things in my life. I take myself way too seriously and just to be reminded who, what it's about. Yeah. And that's the, you know, the, the beauty of Paul's word, the Thessalonians, we were, you know, we came and shared our lives with you, yeah. you know, and, and loved it. Um, I had the privilege of serving at the church that Matthew and Cody grew up in uh, as a pastor and um, just some of the sweetest times of fellowship, even through, you know, some struggles and difficulties. Uh, they were a people that were willing to share their lives. And, um, and I don't think there's any substitute, you know, for that in pastoral ministry. So, so as we think about that potential towards discouragement, you know, in, in relating it particularly to preaching, um, you know, Dr. Shadis, I'm going to ask you to put your professor hat on for a minute and kind of think through this whole picture of the world's wisdom versus godly wisdom as we've looked at that. And certainly, Paul said, we do impart a wisdom, and I think that's important for us to remember. And so when we're preparing to preach and when we're preaching, where's the line, you know, that we have to be careful of not crossing? Because we want our personality to be present in our preaching. Um, we want people to, to be drawn in so that they hear the message of, of the gospel. Uh, but at what point... Is it that we're flirting with crossing the line? Uh, I think that the word that comes to mind is uh, the, the word dependence, uh, and, and this is it's it's uh, this is tough because it's almost an intangible, you know, thing. It's a heart condition, uh, but I think the place we cross the line is when we start to depend upon some of those things, whether it's our personality, you know, because you're right, you know, our personality is God's ordained this event, but our personality is not going to change anybody's life, you know, and so if it if it's what I'm depending on, um, you know, I've crossed the line. If If my you know, my creativity, you know, we've mentioned that, you know, a couple of times. Nothing wrong with creativity. God was creative, and I think we we're created as creative creatures, and there's a, but creativity is not going to transform anybody's life into looking more like Jesus, you know. Um, and so, and it, it, it's so easy, you know, it, it's so easy when we start, you know, saying what you just said, which all of us would say and, you know, would agree with. And that is, okay, we, we, we know we should be creative and we should, you know, our personality should be a part of it. We're already bringing those things into it. And it's just so easy, you know, to, all right, they're all there, power of the gospel, you know, the, the power of God's word. But we're the human instruments, so we bring these things in. And somewhere along the line, when we begin to think this is the key to our effectiveness, whether it's personality, creativity, uh, you know, the way we dress, you know, our preferences. You know, I hear that all the time, you know, just with things related to how we dress. Well, this is just who I am. 
Well, this is not about who you are. You know, this is about who Jesus is, and it's about the power of the gospel. And if who you are could distract, you know, from from that, then we've crossed the line. You know, and so it's a it, it is, but it's it's a condition of the heart. Uh, you know, I I probably need help. You know, with other people, keep an eye on when I've crossed the line. I don't know that I'm always smart enough to discern that or spiritual enough to discern it. Um, but, it, it, you know, it, it's not a both-and enterprise. You know, it's the truth of the gospel and my personality or my preferences or what I think my ministry giftedness are. It, no, it, you know, it's it, it, this is the power of of you know, of God for salvation. This is the power that is transforming. And anything else that we bring to the table, you know, we cross the line when that begins to rise above that as the source of what we think, I've got to do this, or if I do this, then I'll be effective, you know. Uh, so I'm not, not sure that helps with regard to something practically, you know, but I, I do think it's a heart condition of, of depend, what are we depending on to think be the power? It establishes the boundaries for yeah. sure mm-hmm. um, and making sure we don't go beyond it. Yeah. Guys, any reflections that you would have kind of in that, you know, as you prepare to preach, you know, what, what safeguards do you have to kind of keep you from crossing the line? Yeah, I, I'm I'm rarely, I think, reflecting on my preaching, and I feel like, you know, it's changed in some ways. I even had a brother challenge me recently. He thought my preaching had become a little too cerebral and um, uh, gave me a book. I, was, uh, I, I love uh, Robert Smith from, uh, I think it's Beast and Divinity, um, Doctrine that Dances. And, um, and yeah, so, like, um, I think I haven't even wrestled with this as much. It's just like... Uh, um, what does creativity look like in the pulpit? And, um, but at least with that, I, I've just tried to, um, be uh, what he was saying is it, you don't seem human. Like you, you, you seem like you're just trying to get it right, but you are a person. <laughs> you are Matthew. And, um, and so just, uh, so I, I've tried to be more free, but I do think like, yeah, even as I try to be more free and engaging with my congregation, just m- making sure what, uh, Dr. Jim's saying is like, yeah, but my hope cannot be in, wow, the power of this illustration. Or, um, But, yeah, the, even what I said last night, that my prayer would be, Lord, let us see the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. And, um, the, yeah, the, and this may be somewhat related, but probably also where I've been more, like, reflective as well is issues on liberty of conscience, of just making sure, like, as I preach the Word, because I, I think there's so many cultural pressures on us like why aren't you preaching on this or why aren't you taking a position here that and just honestly trying to shepherd my congregation thinking was we think about the word of god we need to let the word of god be binding where it is binding but we also need to be careful like because i think a lot of pastors have fallen victim to like binding the conscience where i'm just like that's actually more of a preference or uh maybe an implica- a theological implication of what you're seeing in the Bible. So th- th- for whatever reason Chris that was the first thing that came to my mind is just even I you know and as things have been become utterly polarized over the past 6 years I do feel like I've seen it maybe a little bit more freedom and binding the conscience in certain ways. I'm just like, well, you know, I think it's okay if that's a theological implication for you, 
but I don't know if you should, you know, be saying, you know, almost like, you know, if you're a Christian, you're going to, you're going to believe this or you're going to do that. I got challenged not long ago on, on an issue of like one person just said, well, since you've been here, you've never addressed this. You know, is that intentional? You know, is that, it's like, well, no, I've just been preaching through where I feel like the spirit has led me to preach and it's not come up, (laughs) you know? And so it's not that I don't think that your position on it is correct and scriptural, you know, so I think, yeah, I mean, we can we can force things into that um, to fit a mold or somewhere we think we should be. Um, but, yeah, that's a, that's a good word. Jim, anything to add to that? Yeah, it's just to resist the dog and pony shows and, the um, you know, the temptation for novelty in the pulpit. Um, just trying to really want the text to set the agenda for our worship and uh, to interact with that and to worship as I preach. Um, I really want it to connect and pray that it would. Um, but I think the older I get, the more settled I am in that, you know, that, um, when all is said and done, that's what I want, you know, my ministry to leave is, uh, is the scripture, not so much, um, maybe a gimmick or novelty. Um, are there any particular things that you do? Um, remember when Jesus asked the disciples, are are you going to leave too? And they're like, well, we, we don't, where will we go? We don't, we've given everything. Um, are there any particular things that come to your mind kind of as you think about that temptation to leave? Like, I could go do something else and, you know, um, any safeguards that you have when you might begin to think that or drift into that that you immediately put into place or, you know, safeguards? I mean, certainly there are some obvious answers in that um, that we fortify ourselves with, but any particulars that you would share with the brothers? I think the first thing is just to be patient. Uh, I don't think any like decision like that needs to be made in haste. Um, you know, um, our emotions can be one place today and another place tomorrow. Um, and so just like, uh, yeah. So I, I think that that was one thing, like even when I was struggling with these thoughts, I'm just like, I'm very tired right now. And I'm not just physically tired, like I'm emotionally tired. I'm frustrated by how much time I'm not getting to spend with my family. This is not a good season for me to make a decision like that and just recognizing that. And then just being honest with my pastors. And I know maybe not everyone in here has like pastors they get to serve alongside. But, you know, one thing I try to remind myself in the congregation is that I am a sheep too and I need to be shepherded and um and just entrusting my soul to them and saying this is this is where I'm at. And Honestly, like the worst of that season where I felt like I was going to quit, which was like July of 2022, um, my pastors just came in and they uh, made sure uh, that my preaching, uh, like whatever responsibilities I had, that they were going to take those over. They sent me and my wife on a vacation and um, and did all they could to just care for us during that time. And I know everyone doesn't have that, but I think being patient, not acting in haste, um, and then and then you know, being honest with those around you who would know how to care for you, speak some sanity in your life. You know, I, I, I know Pastor Jim was talking about just like, uh, you know, what's happening in our, in our mind. It's however we're speaking to ourselves is very important in those moments. But like, yeah, sometimes just the clarity that we get is just from the body of Christ. Like, like you're only seeing the people who are throwing coffee in your face. And the reality is... <laughs> You know, and, and that's another thing I was even reminding of, and this is something that was good for us to share with our children. We did have $15,000 of, of material stolen from us, 
but we probably had $20,000 worth of gifts that came in response to that. And just to say, not only to ourselves, but to our children who we want to trust in the Lord, um, the generosity of the saints is greater than the theft of thieves. Um, and just, you know, we just need one another to remind, I guess, to keep us sane. <laughs> I, uh, one of the things that's been helpful for me is uh, revisiting, uh, you know, First and Second Timothy, you know, particularly Second Timothy, because if there's any place in the Bible where somebody was talking to a guy that was about to quit, you know, it, it was that. I mean, I think that's what we've got in Second Timothy in particular. You know, and Timothy was ready to walk off the track, throw in the towel, and you know, Paul comes and he's exhorting him, and he, he he's probably not exhorting him like I would think, you know, putting his arm around him and say, "Hey, bro, you probably need to." you know, lay low for a while, let the dust settle, and then get back in there. He, you know, he comes in and just gets in his face and says, don't you even think about quitting. The stakes are too high. Uh, the gospel is uh, too important. Time is too short. Uh, and and he takes him back to his calling and the stewardship of the baton being handed to Paul and Paul handing it to his grandmother and mother and them handing it to him and you know you need to hand it to some other guys you know and and uh, so there there is an element i think of just being reminded he does this in first timothy he goes back you know the the gift that was given you through prophecy through the laying on of my hands he takes him back to some tangible points and says don't forget where you started don't forget the big picture and that has been helpful for me uh, to go back and remember, you know, that early morning in Jacksonville, Alabama, when I stopped running um, and, you know, putting off the call of God because I wanted to be a college football player. And, uh, and I, you know, I got to do that, but it, you know, there's nothing wrong with doing that, but for me, it was delaying what God had been doing and just going back, you know, to that time when, when God brought me to the place of, uh, you know, of saying, you know, you're going to do what I called you to do and, and knowing how real that was. And that's, you know, that's 40 years ago, you know, for longer than that. Uh, but yet there's a tangibility to that, that even though in the moment I don't feel like it and I, you know, I want to quit or I want to let up, there's a stewardship and a responsibility and you know in that tangible moment that i've i've never been able to shake you know and i i i don't know what that looks like you know so and i don't want to know what it looks like yeah. well wonder if you guys have any questions uh, just maybe that have kind of come up in your thoughts and minds as you have um, heard the word today and just heard from uh, these brothers and so any questions kyle so, uh, two parts. What's something that uh, you first thought of a hill to die on, and then in your years of pastoring, you realize that's not a hill to die on? And then, conversely, like, what's something that you didn't think was a hill to die on, and then after pastoring, you, know, you realize you know, that's a hill to die on? I'll go first and try to make it real quick. Uh, Maybe what I thought was a hill to die on was uh, elders, you know, just the, uh, and, you know, I won't go into the whole story, but, uh, you know, I just, I, 
I knew I could read my Bible, I could read the New Testament and see this is this is the best model, you know, this is uh, what's best. But, you know, I read this, it, God actually used 1 Corinthians, um, you know, to, um, you know, to you know, see in Paul, you know, in chapter 1, say, I'm glad I didn't baptize any of you, you know, and I'm saying, Paul, what a compromiser, you know, God... Jesus told us to baptize people. You know, what do you mean? You know, you didn't. And then in chapter 3, um, you know, you ought to be eating meat, but, uh, you know, meat's the best, <laughs> you know, so eat meat, you know. But now he said, I, I gave you milk, you know. In chapter 8 and 9, uh, ought to be able to take a wife, you know, like this. Ought to be able to do this. Ought to be able to be paid for the ministry. Those are the best things. Those are the right things. But... In order to maintain his platform for preaching the gospel, uh, he he did what we might put in the category of compromise. He settled for less than the best, you know. And and I was in a situation where if I had forced that issue, I would have lost my platform for preaching the gospel. And um, uh, God taught me a big lesson through that. Um, I would say one, uh, you know, that I, I came to realize was a hill I was willing to die on was the race issue. Uh, I, I probably, it wasn't that I, I didn't think that was an important issue. It's just I, I think I was too young and immature to really realize the scope of it. But I determined, you know, in my first couple of pastorates that I'll, I'm willing to lose my job over this issue, you know, because it's such a compromise of the gospel. It is such an affront, you know, to uh, to the gospel, and so uh, that th those would be ones. In, <clears throat> I think Kyle, uh, I was saved when I was twenty, and so as I entered in the early years of my Christian life and went into seminary and uh, right away into a pastorate, I was kind of, I could probably be described in First Corinthians where Paul talked about the weaker brother. Because I, you know, I had lived in the world, and I didn't want anything to do with much of that, and so I, that af affected a lot of things. Where there are issues of Christian liberty and so forth, uh, on how you raise your children, how you educate your children, how you um, uh, do ministry, and these preferential matters where there's liberty in the Lord, and so I, I kind of locked down on that uh, early in my pastorate. I, I think I've matured since then. I'm no longer the weaker brother who's really offended about things. <laughs> um, I think uh, something else, too, is one of the mistakes I think pastors make going into a new church field is they, they find these things that are really out of order and um, want to go and change them right away, and they're structural matters. And so pastors are embroiled in these controversies right off the bat over structural matters. And I think I, I learned, you know, things like bylaws and this those type of, you know, she doesn't need to be doing that anymore kind of decisions, uh, you know, to really give it time to establish the authority of the word, to establish, you know, trusted leadership, and then as God gives freedom to deal uh, with those things. Um, I think moving, you know, just with regard to doctrines, all of them that I'm convinced in my spirit are uh, valid and true and historic, I'm going to die for those. And um, 
you know, I think there's a theological triage of what's most important and secondary items and third tier items and want to be gracious re- regarding that in body life. Um, but I think early on just being energized on preferences and things that just couldn't possibly be otherwise, um, to be more gracious and, I think to your question, Kyle, this is probably more related to practice. Um, just given, say, the topic of church discipline, I remember when I was like 20 years old, I was in this uh, uh, Bible study at this, as, as uh, Don and Sherry Hollis, say, you know, hosted um, uh, is the church they used to serve at. They would just open up their home to high school and college students and just go through a book of the Bible in the summer. Is the most really formative time in my life because I'd never studied the Bible that way. I mean, it, Bible reading before that was just like, okay, I'm going to open it up and wherever I land, that's obviously what God wants me to read, right? Um, and uh, so I, I remember us coming to 1 Corinthians 5 and then just thinking about church discipline for the first time and just, I think, just like almost growing a zeal for that because I'd seen real people hurt in the church and nothing done about that. And and so I think um, now being a pastor, and that was like, I don't know, that was 17 years ago, and now being a pastor and having two cases of discipline in our church that uh, will be seven years old this uh, uh, summer, I think what stuck out to me is like I haven't lost my conviction there on that this we should be faithful if people are in an unrepentant sin to move towards discipline. But I, I think now at the age of 37, I'm like, wow, I was... We we were far more patient in a good way than I thought I would have been when I was twenty. Um, I think at twenty I would have been like real quick, okay, you're, you're you know you're out of, out of the church. Um, but I think like I don't know when you grow and you're in pastoral ministry, like you long to see people repent, <laughs> and you know and and you know this is a means that God has given us, and even by removing them from the church, that can lead to their repentance. But um, I think like. The conviction is there, but far more patient than I would have been when I was in my early 20s and seeing someone um, um, repent. Uh, I don't really, I, nothing's coming to mind, Kyle, on that second question. I, I think I'd have to think about that more, but I think I am surprised how much I have to clearly teach on gender. Um, and I'm not just talking about gender roles, but just like just being in the city of New Orleans, how important it is for our people as they interact with other people in the city just to clearly think about, you know, what the Bible teaches about God created us male and female. I don't I, I don't think ten years ago, like when I was in seminary, that I thought that I would have to labor at this. Um yeah. So th- that was that was what came to mind there, just out of like necessity, you know, um having to be clear on those things. Any other questions? Brother? Are we in a society where the country is being divided by hatred? How do you address hatred from the pulpit? I'm not trying to be trite when I give you this answer, but I, you know, there's so many of the answers to questions like this that we have that just come back to being faithful to, you know, faithful to expound the text of Scripture because... This book addresses that, you know, and it it uh, a God who is you know is not a, is a God of love, uh, you know, is the one revealing Himself, you know, in in this book, and so I think 
systematic exposition, even if I'm not building a series on that topic, there are going to be so many occasions in just the exposition of Scripture to call attention to the love of God and what He's done for us in Christ and how you know that gospel drives everything that we do and then then in that there are places to make specific application to say our day and time you know and so i don't think we have to do anything different i think we just have to be faithful to expound the truth of this because this book is going to address that in a big way i think uh, ricky something that comes to my mind is um just a, being intentional uh, to pray for those in authority over us as first Timothy two commands us to. So regardless of who's in the office, uh, who's in the white house we, and it, for 30 years, we were on our prayer list on Wednesday night. We're praying, um, for Bill Clinton. <laughs> we're, we're praying for George Bush. We're praying for Barack Obama. Uh, we're praying uh, for Donald Trump. Uh, we're praying for Joe Biden. And we're obeying First Timothy two, and just really resisting any effort to ever give the appearance that we're the right plank of the Republican Party or any party, and to speak um, the Word of God clearly on the issues of the day. Some things demand an outward response. Abortion is murder if you believe the Bible. Racism is. Jim, I was thinking about early on in my ministry, um, uh, just the hypocrisy of taking um, Lottie Moon Christmas offering to support missionaries to go to Africa and other places and not allow them in your building, not allow a, you know people of color in your building. What kind of hypocrisy is that? And by the way, could we look at Revelation where we see at the end of it all that every tribe and tongue and kindred and land is around the throne, redeemed, that God has called him to, uh, to himself through Christ. So really being deliberate that we, we're Christians and... Um, and we're under the blood of the Lamb from every tribe and tongue and kindred and land. And so, um, and we're called to be ambassadors, you know, to represent Him well and um, speak the truth into, you know, to see a magnanimous spirit, not a contentious, argumentative spirit. Yeah, I, so one of, one of the things that we say we're pursuing as a church is we say that we're pursuing unity and joy in Christ our King. And we really chose that as a pursuit because as I was reading just the New Testament, it's amazing how Paul uh, in the letters, the desire for unity in the church. And I think that's, you know, even related to Jesus' own prayer that his disciples would be one. Why does he want them to be one? Uh, because it will adorn the gospel in such a way that it will, their, their unity, their oneness will testify that the Father truly sent the Son. So I'm always trying to connect those realities of unity in the church to this is how, or this is not the only way, but it's one of the primary ways that we can adorn the gospel. So just, I think, reminding our congregations about the stakes and also reminding, I often give our church warning like, the world, as Titus talks about, it is a place where the, the dominion of darkness we've been saved out of is a place where people are being hated and hating one another. Like that, that is, we're talking about the wisdom of Christ. That is the way of the world. That is the wisdom of the world. If you're hated, you hate back. Um, and, and Christ has led us in a different way, a different wisdom. And we need to be 
careful to make sure that we are being shaped by that wisdom. And, and, and this is, I often give warnings here, not because I believe media or social media is an evil in itself, but, but I think falsely as Christians, we can look at media and just think, well, it's not necessarily, the content that I'm seeing there is not necessarily evil, but there's a manner, there's a form that's happening there. There's a sensationalizing. There's a, you know, uh, and these things are very formative for how we start to believe and even how we start it. I don't think it comes to any surprise that you can look at like how the media has like re- reacted to one another or you know sensationalized stuff and things get kind of just uh, bloodthirsty and and then also looking at Christian media whether it's Twitter or you know you, and you'll see the same manners happening and I think what it's showing is like we've been shaped by the world <laughs> and, and and I think we just need to take warning at that and, and I'm not saying. I don't do much social media, so I'm not going to say you're in sin if you're doing this. But I think we need to know how much media is sh- shaping our congregation and how we even relate to one another. And, and maybe just one other thing there. I think this goes back to the liberty of conscience thing. Like in 2020 when there was a lot of just polarizing things that were happening, um, I tried to like just biblically teach on what unity is. And that unity is not uniformity. So there, we're going to have like different like thoughts on what we should do for our children's education. We're going to have different thoughts on what's the best way to... Vaccines. Yeah, vaccine. We're, we're, there's going to be... But we're yes. going to fight to love one another through these things, and um, we're not going to hold our brother or sister and like, well, if you take this position, then then you're not a Christian. And uh, and I think, like, that requires honesty, you know, within a congregation, but, like, it has to be approached... We can't approach this like the world where we're just going to rip and tear one another apart. We have to keep the stakes in mind we adorn the gospel when we walk in unity. That won't mean uniformity, so that means it's, it's, going, to be a, it's going to be something that's worth fighting for, but we, we, we have to fight for it. And sometimes we'll be misunderstood as being unloving when, uh, you know, we speak to the LGBTQ+, and I think the plus sign communicates the insanity that it's never going to end because once you leave God's foundation for life and sexuality and gender and begin to do what's right in your own eyes. It just continues to morph into other things. And we're seeing that right before our eyes. So to be clear on that and to be clear on that doesn't mean I hate you, but this is the truth. And we as the church will stand on, on God's word. And if we're, you know, accused of being hate mongers, well, so be it. But we've got to, we have a prophetic role in the world and prophets didn't do well in the old, I think of Jeremiah, he preached, uh, 40 years and few converts and you know he would have never been invited to an evangelism conference to be a speaker and yet his prophecies encased in the old testament as a statement of um you know his faithfulness it's god's word to a wayward people so balancing that i think are the way we communicate uh hard things is important jim would you pray for us uh, as we seek to live these things out and as we take these things to heart sure lord we thank you for this conference for being able to look at first corinthians and lord i thank you for these brothers uh i again i'm just reminded they have pulls on their life they have demands in their church they have families that need them they have set aside uh this friday and saturday to um to seek you together with us And I pray that you would be our wisdom, that you would, Lord, help us to understand um, uh, 
how to move forward in ministry, to trust you. And we would pray that you would make uh, our churches fruitful. You would revive us and awaken us for every good work. I pray for the troubles and the cares that may be on the hearts of these brothers, that you would you would be the lifter of their head, that as they enter into ministry tomorrow and engage with their congregations, that the love of Christ would abound and your grace would be magnified. Lord, we pray that we'll be faithful to the end and we would remember that we are all running the race that ends at your feet. May we run it together, fixing our eyes upon Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and has been seated at the right hand of the throne of God. May we consider you, Lord, that we never lose heart. Thank you for this time. Thank you for the commitment and the hearts of these brothers. Bless them richly. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, we certainly do thank uh, those who participated this week. Dr. Shaddix, thank you for giving of your time to be with us and uh, for faithfully uh, bringing God's Word to us. Matthew, Kyle, thank you for coming and sharing uh, just from your experiences of what the Lord's doing in your churches, and uh, we are certainly thankful for you. Uh, Jim, thank you for uh, uh, just the, uh, the, the heart to uh, put this on and for your congregation and staff uh, in uh, helping to make it happen and all that you've done in it. And brothers, thank you for coming this weekend, and um, we pray the Lord has spoken to your heart. Um, we would encourage you to go and, and follow the conference on social media. Uh, in the days ahead, we'll be announcing to you uh, the speaker and those things for next year. What we do know is that we'll be in the book of Jude next year, um, and the subject that we'll be considering is contending earnestly uh, for the faith. And so uh, we hope that you will uh, make plans uh, as soon as we have those set uh, for joining us next year and um, that you would be safe as you go to your places of worship tomorrow to lead, to serve, uh, to worship. Uh, we pray that the Lord bless you in those things. And so have a wonderful afternoon, and uh, God bless you. You're dismissed.